Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Last week, we began a series entitled Eyewitness, kind of like iPod, iPad, small I, Witness. Something happens when you witness God. Something happens when you see someone who has experienced God. Sometimes you come to church and you say, this is enough for me to tell God is real. Uh, And so when you look at people around you, when I got born again, it was truly, I'm not saying this for any other reason than it's true. When I got born again, it changed the way a lot of people saw God because there weren't that many people who thought I would ever be born again, that I would live a Christ-following life. And so when I got saved, there were other people that thought maybe they could do the same thing. You know what I'm saying? When my brother got born again, I knew there was a Christ. He was more hellion than me. And so when my brother got saved in February of 1977, I was mad at him because he and I used to get drunk together, run together, race together. We did it all together, baby. And now my moonshine brother is living for Jesus. He found a woman that kind of got him into the Lord. I wasn't happy with her or him. But in about six months watching my brother live for Jesus, I thought, you know, he's not near the idiot he used to be. Maybe this will work for me. See, sometimes you just have to witness something that changes your life. Somebody tells you, I used to not be a tither or a giver. I start tithing and giving. You watch them bless, and you go, that's enough for me. Our fingertips. I think sometimes we, we're just not desperate enough to, you're in the presence of God, you're in the presence of God, and all those things begin to fade because you, I, your eyes are on His glory, on His power, on His provision. When we begin to press into God and say, God, this process will not break me. This process will make me. This process is going to make me to be the strong person of faith that you've called me to be. I will not fade. I will not bow to this. We have to rise up. We have to stand strong. And we have to commit to that process. And now Ittai finds himself coming just one day's time. He comes to be with David in the presence of God. And then all of a sudden he gets there and he finds out bad things are happening. Absalom is about to overtake his dad's kingdom. It is a dysfunctional family. When your son goes and starts convincing people he ought to be the king. After all, David's not doing a good job. Division. Ittai gets stuck in the middle of this, and David gives him permission to leave. Ittai, you just came yesterday. You and 600 Gittites, please, just go. Don't get in the middle of this. But something had happened to Ittai that forever changed his life. You see, the Ark of the Covenant had found its way to Obed-Edom's house, a Gittite. And while that ark was there, which represented the presence of God, as I talked about last week, wherever Israel went, whether they wanted the waters to part, whatever they needed, they had the ark on their shoulders and they would carry it into flood stage waters and they would part. The presence of God still works that way today. The Spirit of God has not changed. And they march into the waters and they part. So everybody knew 
When that box was coming through, you better get out of the way. But David got angry and abandoned the presence of God for about 90 days. He abandoned it. And he left it to Obed-Edom because he was angry that his, his buddy Uzzah had died when he tried to keep it from falling off a cart, which it shouldn't have been on. And David gets mad at God. It wasn't God's fault. Should never have been on a cart. David knew that. It was meant to be carried on the shoulders of the people of God, just like his presence is carried on us. Your presence ain't on your car. People ask me to come and pray over their home. I'll come and pray over you. But your home ain't nothing but material stuff. Devil ain't afraid of your house. He's afraid of you. And so we want the presence of God on us. We're carriers of the presence. So I pray over you. So Obed-Edom's house, the ark is in there, and all of a sudden God starts blessing Obed-Edom. David says, I better go get that that ark. So Obed-Edom releases the ark to David. Ittai follows and goes to David and says, I am committed to the process, David. You see, a lot of people want the kingdom. The kingdom is nothing without a king, and Absalom was not the king. God didn't bless the kingdom because of Absalom. He's like, this is a bu- it's built to my glory. No, he had to have a king to make it a kingdom. David was the king, not Absalom. Ittai understood that. And Ittai said, you know what? I'd rather die with the king than live in the kingdom without the king. I'm following the king. And the king was David. It was not Absalom. We can't go around just thinking, well, it's a kingdom. Whoever steps in it becomes a king. No. The king steps in it and makes it a kingdom. And so in our day, we don't want the process. We just want to find a kingdom. Some of you are all about to quit your job because your boss is an idiot. You think. Maybe you're the idiot. I knew that wouldn't get a great response. No, I, I've employed people. So when people start complaining about the man, I go, hold it. The man's the reason you're eating supper tonight. See? So we get things twisted because we live in an entitled generation. You owe me. I deserve it. I get a free education. Stop. There's nothing free. Part of the process, you may be in a job you hate because God wants to take the hate out of you. God says, as long as you're hating, you're going to hate any job. Because hate's on the inside of you. It's not on the outside. It's not what somebody's doing to you. It's what you've allowed in you. So you go from one job to another job to another job because you keep looking for a perfect boss. They don't exist. So while you're doing that, what you're doing is abandoning the process of God that God wants to use that job, that boss, that hard work to build you up and make you strong and cause you to know how to speak to the mountain instead of complain about the mountain. He didn't say you can complain to the mountain and it'll be moved. He said you speak to it. You start blessing your boss. You start blessing your mother-in-law. Things start happening. People are in your life and you're in a place that you are right now. Some for some reason. So stop complaining about it and start asking God, what do you want me to learn here? Because I want to learn it. 
Some believers have been in the kingdom for 30 years and they're still in the first grade. Well, you know, nine months have gone by. I should graduate to the next level. You don't graduate to the next level because of how many months you've been in that grade. You graduate to the next level because of what you learned in that grade. I'm learning stuff. I want to learn because I don't want to be here next year. I don't want to be here two months. I want to be in our own building. I want to be in a place we call ours. I want to keep expanding. I want to keep stretching. I want to keep believing God for more and more people to touch their life. Now, listen, some of y'all looking to the other side, but you ain't ever going. Can you imagine the Red Sea parting, the Jordan at flood stage? We all think it's wonderful. I don't know about you, but when there are two walls about 100 feet high of water, I'm not really looking that excited about going over on dry land. I don't care how dry it is. I may be walking next to a fool that God says, now, drop the water. He's the one. No! That'd be scary. Think about it. I thought about going to the other side a couple of times. I'm thinking, I, I want a boat. I don't want to be walking across on dry land with two walls beside me of water. And all of a sudden, you go from dry ground to 100 feet deep. You ain't getting up. You're done. You're fish bait. It takes something. To get to the other side, you have to learn. You have to have faith. You have to have confidence. You have to have trust. A lot of people just looking, saying, well, it does look good over there. <laughs> Got to jump into the process. Ittai said, I'm in, David. Where you die, I'll die. We have too many plan Bs and plan Cs because we're taught in this world that planning is the key to everything. We've forgotten God is the key to everything. I don't have any goals. I have one goal, and his name is God. I spell my goal G-O-D. And everything between where I am today and him, that's up to him to get me there. But he is my goal. At the end of my life, it's no longer building a church. I want to build up God. And when you build up God, the church will be built. When God is present, he changes everything. We can have all the cute programs, and we can have all the... Hey, we didn't even have words on the screen today. Glory be to Jesus. Y'all just had to go lip-sync it, Millie Vanilli on us, all right? <laughs> I know a bunch of y'all learned how to sing in tongues today. Yeah, shave it ba We had no words up there. I'm like, yeah, I'm just worshiping Jesus because I think people are just looking and going, oh, God. We get here half the time. They have weddings here on Saturday night. We get the residue on Sunday morning. Screen doesn't work half the time. Projector ain't working. Geek get worried. This is the process, baby. I just close my eyes up here. I'm singing in tongue. All you got to do is move. People think you're singing. You see, we get so caught up in, in the details that we forget God. All I care about is God, everything else, just the details. God just does it. So here we are, you know, and you're in the process. I don't know why you're here. Some of you still here because you feel sorry for me. I appreciate that. I really do. But I like it that you're here because you just like, some people still want to see if there's going to be a crash. You're what I call the NASCAR attenders. <laughs> you don't go for the race, you go for the wall. I mean, I get it. But we ain't going nowhere but for God. That's what we're all about. We're going for God. Now, in 2 Samuel 11, 
David is an adulterer and a murderer. 2 Samuel 15, he's celebrating the ark of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, Ittai finds himself becoming a commander of a third of David's army. Now, I'm jumping ahead because I want you to understand. Ittai had no idea what would come his way if he would stand in the way in the place of God. He had no idea. You see, I can't begin with say, well, if I do the right thing, this will happen. No, let me tell you something. If I do the right thing, whatever God wants to happen will happen. You don't need to worry about what's going to happen. You just need to think, I'm going to stay in the process of God, and no matter what happens, I'm in the presence of God, and in that place there's fullness of joy, and in the joy comes the strength. I'm going to be all right. <clears throat> so today my prayer is that you would not abandon your process and that begins with being around the right people in that situation Ittai understood who David was who Israel was and that Israel were God's chosen people and God's chosen man was David wasn't Absalom but it could have been if everything would have been done right, but it wasn't done right. So Absalom gets unhappy because he, he's not, he wants the kingdom now, so he has to get rid of David to get the kingdom. See, sometimes we start manipulating God to get what we want instead of what God wants. And if you don't go through that, listen to this, without the process, there is no success. Without the process, you just get suck. Yeah, I said it. You don't get cess. Okay? The process is what strengthens us to experience the success in a way that we can enjoy it. People who don't, that's how come people who win the lottery have a miserable life. They often end up dying. Because they didn't go through the process, they got all this $240 million, but they never went through the process to find the wealthy success, so now they're miserable. Why? They don't have on the inside what they need to manage what's going on on the outside. In other words, if you want to be a boss, you better know how to treat your boss. We don't have enough bosses in here, or you would have stood up and said, that's right, preach it good. So stop complaining. You see, when nearly three years ago now, when I was going through my situation, many people didn't think I would go through the process. Matter of fact, there are a lot of people who didn't want me to go through the process. Because when you go through the process and, and you do everything you're supposed to do, then the people on the other side of the process are supposed to do what they're supposed to do, right? So people like, well, he'll never make it. I had people say, never make it. And even when I did finish the process, a year of restoration with Marty Grubbs, Craig Rochelle, and Rob Koch, people still didn't believe I finished the process. So I got letters from all three of them just to prove I did because people couldn't believe I did it. So it but, but let me tell you, the process wasn't easy. You see this notebook? I have seven of these. They're all this thick. 365 days, seven hours a day I wrote. I put myself in a cave, and let me tell you why I did it. Because I knew the only way I would ever get healthy and whole was to go through the process. It's the only way it's going to work. I didn't take any shortcuts, folks. Let me tell you something. I took no shortcuts. Matter of fact, there were times I think I took the long route, and God's going, son, I didn't ask you to do that either. 
But on day 10, May 5th, 2014, 10 days after all hell broke loose, this is what I wrote. And the reason this is important is this church is what it is today because of day 10 in my life. Now, there are two books in the Bible you, you don't want to read. I'm just going to warn you right now. I know you've never had a pastor tell you not to read two books in the Bible. But every year, if you're reading the Bible through, you don't go, I cannot wait to get to the book of Lamentations. <laughs> and my second favorite book is Job. I just can't wait to get to Job. So uplifting, so encouraging that one man who finds his, in his wardrobe sackcloth and he goes out and get ashes and he has boils all over his body. What a great looking guy. I'm sure every woman wanted him. Uh, but here's a man who went through a real difficult time. So when I, when on D-Day for me, April 26, 2014, God spoke to me and he said, I want you to read Job for 42 days. 42 chapters in Job. And here's what God spoke to me. And this is a part of the process. And listen very carefully to this. He said, I want you to learn how to suffer redemptively. Now, there is a punitive suffering. A punitive suffering is suffering for the sake of pity. I, I want everybody to feel sorry for me. I want everybody to feel bad for me. And, and so you suffer, and you let everybody know you're suffering. God said, I want you to learn that in the midst of suffering, you will meet me at depths you've never known me. The Bible says that Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, we're talking about the perfect Son of God, and the Bible says Christ learned obedience through what? Instruction from God? No. Through the things he suffered. Why? He had a process. The process of Christ was, first, to be born to two human beings. Now, I know that it was not the seed of man, but it was the seed of God that impregnated Mary, but he's carried by a woman who is a normal human being, born into a family that was not royal in any way, stretch, form, imagination. He's brought up in a common home. He learns to be a carpenter. He doesn't learn all the things that royalty would learn. Now, granted, he was royalty from heaven, but on earth, he became man, dwelled among us. He's ridiculed, not accepted as the Son of God, criticized, mocked, you name it. At any given time, those would have been enough for one man to go, I've had enough of this. I am the Son of God, and I am going to smite thee. Or he could have fallen prey to the praise or the opportunities that the devil gave him to have his kingdom and to have authority and become the king. And, but in order for him to be the king, he had to go through the cross. He had to go through the process. He suffered redemptively because he never quit. He never cursed God. He never questioned the Father. He went through the process. Some of you are in the heat of the process. And let me just tell you something. You're going to come out golden. Do not abandon the process. Day 10. I was reading Job chapter 10. 
Before that, I read Psalm 4.1. This is, I, I wrote these down or I, I cut and paste to this. And it says, answer me when I call you my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Then I went to Job chapter 10. Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eyes saw me. If only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Are not my days almost over? My few days almost over? Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and utter darkness, to the land of deepest night or utter darkness and disorder where even the light is like darkness. Now, that's day 10. you got to understand, I'm sitting in an apartment downtown by myself. I didn't know what day it was. There were days and days and days I wouldn't even leave that place. My daughter would call, and I would ask her what day it was, and I couldn't even remember the last time I showered. I was in this. And out of this, I wrote these words. So bear with me. Job speaks out to God from a very broken place, a broken soul. I'm sure that Job never saw chapter 42 of the book in the Bible that bears his name. If Job had known for sure that God was going to restore him with twice what he had, would this have really been his prayer? He couldn't imagine that the pieces of his now broken life would look twice as good as they did before. This gives me hope. If God can do it for Job and he doesn't show favoritism, then just maybe he can sweep up the shards of my life and give shape once again to my broken destiny. If Job was a piece of art, I think we would find his portrait in the mosaic section of the museum. Let's define mosaic, a picture or decoration made of small, usually colored pieces of inlaid stone or glass. The process of producing such a picture or decoration, something resembling such a picture or decoration in composition, especially in being made up of diverse elements, a mosaic of borrowed ideas. Like Job, my life has become a mosaic. Though I'm not an art enthusiast, I've always enjoyed looking at mosaic art. It's intriguing to me that an artist would take the time to find hundreds, if not thousands, of small pieces of glass and stone and make a picture. I feel like all the broken pieces of my life are scattered across the crossroads of my city, if not the world. There are certainly pieces of me on the continent of Africa. I believe that that's where God will find my heart. At this point, I can't imagine what form they will take on when pieced back together. Who will be in the picture, the mosaic with me? Will all the faces of the ones I love and hurt Be visible as God begins to rebuild his masterpiece? Will there be enough of me left to even be made whole? I sure hope so. I feel scattered. Scattered in my hope, my thinking, in my daily routines. I've even walked the city streets of Oklahoma City searching for where I now belong in God's grand scheme of things. Is there enough of Mark Crow left to piece together a portrait of my future? Thank God I'm not Humpty Dumpty and that King Jesus is not delegating this job to all the king's horses and all the king's men. 
because the king himself will have to work on me. Today I have more questions than usual. Have you ever been in the inner city on a Sunday? The streets that are bustling with the corporate hustle of professionals Monday through Friday give way to the hopeless shuffle of the homeless on Sunday. I should know I spent part of the day shuffling with this precious group of people yesterday. These are good people. God created them in his image and his likeness. What wrong decision did they make that put them in this ghostly maze of the inner city? Can't God find enough pieces of their lives to put them back together and make something beautiful out of their splintered remains? It scares me a little bit. These are people like me, like us, that for whatever reason collapsed under the cruel hand of a mistake or the pressures of the corporate world they once served. Maybe that's why so many of them live in the inner cities of our country. It's all they know. Only now they are on the outside looking in, as am I, at the world that once provided for their families and their self-esteem. Is all their dignity lost? Can't God find enough pieces of their skills, their passions, and their talents to reassemble them? Or are there still pieces lying around the city streets, hidden under the refuse of windblown newspapers, empty cigarette packages, and the likes? I've been told that some of these gaunt-faced, ragged-dressed individuals were once attorneys, accountants, and even business owners. Now I find myself wanting to learn from them, or at least learn about their stories. I've always felt that except for grace, there go I. On this particular Sunday afternoon, here I sit among them. Have you ever heard the sound of an ambulance siren or one of a fire truck echoing through the silent streets on a windy Sunday afternoon in the inner city? It's haunting. As I sit among those who hide in the world of shadows during the week and rule it on Sundays, I realized that we are all not that much different. We all need God. We're all shattered to some degree and on a daily basis need the delicate, loving hand of God to hold the fragile pieces of our lives together. Maybe this is one of God's assembly plants or campuses, as we call them in the church world. King David tells us that God actually desires brokenness. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise. The other thing about mosaic art that I noticed is that this type of art is often soiled. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's caused by the residue of the caulk and other materials used to put the pieces back together. There are no smooth lines in a mosaic, and most of the time there seems to be several parts of the work that are jagged and uneven. Sometimes it's even a little challenging to clearly decipher what the final work really reflects. I can only pray that the picture of my future is clear when the last chunk of my stained humanity is wedged into the mosaic of my life. I know this, that in 1977, God took the jagged pieces of my broken life and carefully pieced together the portrait of a preacher. I was shocked, and I'm sure that all who knew me were as well. How could he conceivably take the fractured parcels of a rebellious, arrogant, selfish human being like me and turn these filthy chips of my life into a mouthpiece for him and for his glory? Can he now take those same pieces, broken again in different places, of the same man that he pieced together for his glory 37 years ago and make something usable, even beautiful? Is it possible? That was a turning point for me that day because I knew God was saying, Mark, you may be broken and the pieces of your life are all over the place, scattered by the winds of gossip and hate, but I'm still your God. 
that day that I wrote this, I got on the phone. I made a phone call. I was looking for a counselor. I needed help. And I was concerned that I had dialectical behavior. I needed dialectical behavior therapy. And so I Googled that to find someone who did this. It's a very rare type of counseling. And it helps borderline personality people, disorders. And I thought maybe I had that. After all, how can you do what I did? I Googled it. And guess what the first name that came up was? Mosaic Counseling Center. I knew God had led me to the right person. I called, and this is like suicide hotline. I got no answer. (laughs) I got a machine. I thought, seriously? And I left a message, and it was actually several days later that I got a return phone call, and it was from the person that owned the counseling center. said, I never checked the answering machine. But on this particular day, I could see that nobody checked it, so I checked it, and your name came up. That lady is still my counselor today, two and a half years later. And she has helped put the pieces of my life back together. What I'm saying to you is, I used to spend Sundays in the inner city, and I challenge you just to go down there on a day like today, park and walk through the city. It'll give you a new vision for life. On those Sundays when I didn't have anywhere to go or any place to preach, I'd get on my motorcycle, I'd go to McDonald's, and I'd just get bags full of cheeseburgers. And I would just go feed the homeless. I thought, you know what? Nobody may ever want to hear my voice again. But you'll never stop me from serving hurting people. So when I realized that I must not abandon the process. That was the beginning for me. And so when I felt God telling me to start the church... Several people said, we want you to be a part of our network, and we'll help you, and you take our name. It was not about a name. It was about the name. I said, you know, guys, I really appreciate your offer. Appreciate all you're wanting to offer me. I said, but I know what I'm supposed to name this church. Because this is what I stand for. You see, I wanted people like you, and there are so many more people out there that just need to be loved by a church that says, you know what? We'll take the fragments of your life and we'll piece them together with ours. And at the end of our lives, God will have this beautiful picture of the wealthy and the poor, the black, the white, the Asian. God will have this beautiful picture of all kinds of people that he puts together. And the world looks and says, if he did it for all of those fragmented people, he can do it for me. So I know some of you come from where I came from and some of you are totally wonderful, functional people and we need you here because your pastor's not. So in this church, it's backwards. The dysfunction stands on stage and the functional stand out there and we are a mosaic of what God can do with a bunch of people with issues. We need God. That's the bottom line. We need God. We just can't abandon the process. Don't. Please don't. There's something beautiful awaiting you on the other side of your commitment 
to not quit, to not give up. You will be criticized. You will be mocked. You will be scorned. But think about it. Kind of sounds like Jesus to me. He was all of those things, and he never quit on us. Those of you watching, don't quit. Don't kill yourself. Don't stop. Don't do that. Stop doing all the drugs that are medicating. Speak to your mountain because God is hearing your voice, and he's waiting on your faith. And today, I believe that the process is going to turn us into something we never would have dreamed. Strong followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I want to ask you to bow your heads and just close your eyes. Those of you sitting at home watching, if you just pause just for a moment, I'd like for you to bow your heads, close your eyes right there where you are. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking to some of you that are watching. You haven't been in church in a long time. Because you went one time, they told you your hair was too long. You had to quit smoking. You had to quit this. You had to quit that. In other words, you were made to feel less than. I want you to know something. You're the apple of God's eye. You're special to Him. He loves you just like you are. And I know what religious people say, yeah, but He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. God loves you. It's not about what God can do. It's about what you want to do. And God wants you to run to Him today. He doesn't want you to run away from Him. He wants you to run to Him. Speak to the mountain of fear, hate, and anger, and hurt, and rejection, and abandonment, and all of those things that have kept you from having a relationship with God today is a new beginning for you. He's going to take the broken shards of your life, the fragments, the things that have been broken, and if no man would help you and put you back together, God's God will put you back together. So I want to pray. I want to ask you to pray this with me. Those of you here in this building and those watching online, pray this with me. Say, God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for not quitting, not abandoning the work that you were called to do. Today, Jesus, I want to respond to that work. I give you my life. I give you my sin. I give you my fears. I give you my doubts. And I declare today, I am forgiven. I am a new creature in you.